Hello, and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times. I'm your host this week, Margaret Kiljoy, and this week I have Elizabeth Doerr on to talk about her journey into preparedness. And I think you all are going to get a lot out of this conversation. I'm really excited to have it. I, I first talked to, I guess I'll get to that later during the actual interview. But first, here's a jingle from another show on the network, Channel Zero Network, which is a network of anarchist podcasts. So here's another one. Da -da 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 -da. I'm going to make those pompous academics regret kicking out such a genius. Deciding to build my lab and do my research. The Time Talks Podcast. Have you ever stared at a 500-page book and wish you could just talk to the author about their ideas instead? If so, the Time Talks Podcast, part of the Channel Zero Network, is for you. Where we discuss history, politics, music, and art with an anti-authoritarian and anarchist perspective. The Time Talks Podcast. What's this light? I feel different. The Time Talks Podcast. Okay, and we're back. Okay, so if you could introduce yourself with your name, your pronouns, and then maybe like how you got started on your preparedness journey. Sure. Um, hi there. My name's Elizabeth Dore, and my pronouns are she, her. And I got started on my preparedness journey mainly because we moved to Portland, Oregon in 2016, where there is going to be a uh, huge earthquake that can devastate the city. And yeah. then subsequently had my son and became, and had already like, uh, been concerned about climate change, but then that not that uh, fear of climate change really kind of ratcheted up a lot more with having a kid. And um, and so over the last few years, I've really been trying to do more to prepare not just for the earthquake, but really for climate change in general, and trying to figure out what that means just in terms of society, in terms mm -hmm. of um, the way we can not just in personal action, but how we can really just change the entire system altogether. And um, and so that has turned into a substack called Cramming for the Apocalypse, um, which is also going to be a book eventually um, as well. But for the last year, it's been in newsletter form. Do you ever have this thing where like, but you have to hurry up and make it a book because what if the apocalypse happens before you get the book out? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, it's funny because my agent was kind of, she's like, she's like, it's an evergreen topic, but she's like, yeah. it always feels so urgent. I want to get it out as soon as possible. Yeah. But then also at the same time, it's like, yeah, I know. Like, are we, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I do have that um, pretty much every day, but also yeah. it's like forever to write a book. So it's, yeah, but yeah. it's amazing even in just in traditional publishing, how long it takes to get a book out into the world. And it's like, well, yeah. in three years, what could the world be like? So, yeah. No, I, I like, I think about this all the time. I actually, uh, because of the 2016 election and stuff, I, for a while, stopped writing books and started focusing more on music because everything felt so like immediate and crisis that I was like, I don't have time to finish this book take a year for my agent to find a publisher, take a year for them to publish it, take a year for people to like read it and care about it. Like I just need to like make music that people hear like tomorrow because otherwise like what am I doing? And then 
it turns out we had more than three years. So it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? I know. Well, and I, I love that. I wish I had that skill and ability because that would be so, and I actually think that with like, I wish I was a really good artist too, because mm-hmm. friends who are, who are excellent at, you know, drawing and art, at, you know, or at least visual mm-hmm. art that is, um, I'm jealous because it's like, that's something you can see now. Um, I yeah. mean, you can do it with writing too, but like, totally. it's just a more visceral, <laughs> yeah. immediately visceral, but yes. Yeah. yeah, totally. No, that makes sense. Okay. So one of the reasons I want to have you on, uh, one is that you were working on an article that we might talk about later, but, um, and, and reach out to me, but one of the things that I, I'm really excited to talk to you about, and that I think that people might uh, get a lot of hearing from is so you're like, you are not the, uh, stereotypical prepper, um, in the traditional sense. And you're also not necessarily the stereotypical, like what people might imagine when they imagine the leftist prepper, right? Which might look totally. more like me. I don't know. I don't know what people <laughs> have in their minds. And, you know, when I asked you how to, how to describe this, you were like, well, you're, you're a white middle-aged urban mom who has progressive values, who is learning, is getting more and more interested in, in anarchism and more radical values beyond that. But you exist within the mainstream culture. And then also you're like, like a PTA mom, for example, right? And then are I'm really excited to talk to you about all this shit. It's like, this is the stuff that like, <laughs> like people who like, I really love that you found. Well, I guess I want to ask you more about like how you found your way into radical politics um, from this. Like you mentioned that like your study of preparedness has like led you to being like, oh, what if we, what if we need to s- structure society differently? Like, what has that journey been like for you? Yeah. I mean, I guess the question is how far back to go. I mean, so I, you know, it really, I mean, I'll give you a little bit of a snapshot kind of like mm-hmm. before this whole journey, but I, um, you know, it, it started as I was a Peace Corps volunteer after I graduated from college. And so I lived in, in Malawi in Southeastern Africa and I had gone in with a very like traditional, like, uh, I guess, liberal views about what was internet, what international development being good for, um, mm-hmm. you know, developing countries and then came out of it with a vast, <laughs> vastly different perspective that actually, you know, that's a part of imperialism and we're doing harm and it's, you know, it's just a, you know, it's just like a holdover from colonialism and that I mm-hmm. still, you know, believe that I still hold. But I had a really hard time, I guess, articulating what that was until I went to graduate school for um, international education policy at University of Maryland. And, and it's a pretty like radical, I didn't know this going into it, but it was like the perfect program for me because the way they viewed international development was very much aligned with kind of the critiques that I had. Oh, and cool. it was, yeah. So like it was more, I would say they had took a more like democratic socialist view of mm-hmm. it. I don't yeah. think that they would say that <laughs> That's my yeah. perspective that, you know, we needed more community-based solutions happening and that kind of stuff. And so that really started that and on that path. And I worked in higher education, working in social justice education. Um, and, and at that time had really, and still I think I have some of these you know, that's when I kind of started calling myself a democratic socialist and mm-hmm. probably, you know, in theory would call myself that now, although it's a little blurrier, sure, yeah. but yeah. yeah. And so, you know, so, and then it's, you know, I think becoming a parent, uh, it actually radicalized me even more because mm-hmm. 
you know, I just, especially with like what's going on in the US about like I, how our school like choice system um, really perpetuates segregation, racial segregation. And I really didn't want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And, but it's also like, you know, especially like being in my role as a a PTA, like a middle-aged PTA mom with my kid going to public school system. It's like a conversation about, you know, which school should I send my kid to as being kind of this like constant, yet nobody points out how racist it is. And so like, that's a big part of it. And then, so these all values are all values that have really been a, a part of me and most of my adulthood. And so So it really was, as I embarked on this whole process, like um, anti-racism, social justice, you know, these kind of radical values were always going to be a part of this project, the cramming for the apocalypse part project. Um, I think I wasn't completely prepared for like all of the things that I was going to learn, which I love. Like it was really, (laughs) to me, you know, I don't think I ever really questioned the kind of quote definition that everybody, you know, every mainstream person in society from left to right deems anarchists um, as, you know, being kind of like chaotic, you know, force. Whereas like, as I was diving into this project, I was like, I started to realize that one, we have the definition completely all wrong. Yeah. (laughs) I'd say the majority of people in society still get it wrong, even just hearing it in, you know, on, um, from quotes on the news, I get kind of triggered. I'm sure that. that <laughs> yeah. But then also like knowing that I was like, oh, well, there are aspects to this that I really think that are, could be the solution. And especially the solution to things like climate change, or yeah. at least yet yeah, to one averting climate change, but also in like just recreating a completely different society that can thrive in kind of that post-apocalyptic environment. And I don't, do you want me to talk a little bit more about kind of my, like, you know, cause as we were talking Mm -hmm. about this, I have this kind of like, (laughs) I live in mainstream society very much. I'm very much a PTA mom. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So like, I think that I hold this interesting role because I am, you know, I'm very active in our PTA. I mean, we are a PTA that's pretty social justice oriented, very diverse. My kid goes to a school with majority kids of color, Mm -hmm. um, which uh, can be unusual in Portland, Oregon. Um, But then also, um, but also uh, I, I don't know, like I, I, I like, I, you know, I, I like to do things that the, you know, the average white American (laughs) <laughs> middle-aged mom is like i like to go out to drinks with my friends i like to yeah. go this kind of thing. so like do you eat brunch think, this is the, that's yeah. the only cliche i can come up with yeah exactly exactly yeah. i mean yes yes yeah. i love brunch we i'm sure it's great food. yeah <laughs> yeah um although with a kid it does make it a little bit more challenging to do like sunday morning saturday okay. morning things that are not soccer related yeah okay, <laughs> huh? uh, yeah soccer mom there that's okay. another cliche. Yeah. I could have led with that yeah uh-huh. yeah I know I didn't even think about that I should have but anyway yeah. I I think that what's what's been kind of cool about it is that it makes me relatable in that way to yeah. people who might be question you know who like you know exist in this kind of mainstream environment but also like I'm also really vocal I'm a very loud person and I uh-huh. don't like have much to hide. And so I'm like 
So a lot of people know my values. And so, you know, I've, I've had friends who kind of will text me being like, okay, how do I approach this situation? How do I approach that situation and that kind of stuff? And so I think that that, and that's actually what I think why this book um, and this like newsletter can be mm-hmm. really useful in that, like, you know, people who might be like, really questioning what's happening in the world, really worried, but they can see themselves in in me and my journey right. um, and know that it doesn't have to look one way and that you can do right. these really weird things, like, like weird to like this environment to me, like learning how to hunt when I haven't ever seen a gun in real life or, you know. That. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. No. Okay. So this is like, there's so much here that I'm really excited about. Um, but okay, so to start with your newsletter, Cramming for the Apocalypse, um, you just say the year of it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so what are some of the, besides the sort of political angle, what are some of the directions it took you that you didn't expect? Or like, what are some of the things that you've learned by writing about preparedness from your perspective for the past year? Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like I should have better formed um, thoughts on this. Oh, it's okay. Whenever anyone asks me, like, so what books do you like? I'm like, I've never heard of a book. <laughs> God, I know. What's a book? <laughs> like, yeah. I know. Well, I, you know, I think that, oh, so, okay, well, I can say that, uh, let me just say that I'll, I, I wrote, started the newsletter because I had been working on the book project, still trying to get it out to publishers. I have an agent mm-hmm. now, which is exciting, but, um, yeah. but I really, yeah, I was doing so much and I wanted to just like get the journey out there in some way I needed to be writing about it. And so I, so, and it's been, I mean, I, what has been really interesting to me is that, I mean, my idea of what a prepper is, has changed. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, I think I had preconceived, I mean, a lot of mainstream media and all of us <laughs> society had probably have a preconceived notion of a doomsday prepper. Yeah. And, you know, and I had already kind of pushed past that a little bit by the time I started the newsletter, because that's the whole reason. I mean, that was the whole reason of doing this book is really kind of flipping the narrative um, of what a prepper is or could be. But I, you know, I still think that like, I realized how uh, much I had to learn about and, you know, about what that even means. And, you know, and I mean, we could talk about this too. The story that, that I interviewed you for, for yeah. the progressive yeah. was that kind of shows a little bit of like where I kind of have come through with this is that, you know, I, I think that we, you know, prepper exists, uh, the term prepper exists in total, in of a variety of different ways that just might not be called prepper. I mean, I think yeah. the, the idea or prepping, um, you know, talking about like mutual aid and, um, and even like, you know, and even, and you, I think really helped me see this too, even more is that we have a lot more in common with those kind of on the right wing who are prepping than we might think. And, you know, there's a way to find common ground. There's a yeah. way you don't, Depending to, on their, depending on where they're coming at it from, you know. But yeah, uh, yeah. I yeah. mean, I would say yeah. not everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like in the political realm that I yeah. think is maybe not where we're going to be finding um, some yeah. 
common area. But I do think that like the values of like, you just want to have, you want to protect your family. You want to be safe. You want to have um, community. Yeah. Everyone wants community most. And so like, how can we find um, common ground about that? And I think that like, that's something I've been really trying to come around about is like, not to be like too judgmental off the bat when that, you know, yeah. when somebody expresses these views um, that, kind of might shock me at first but um i mean it's still like tricky when you get down the like political realm like and you yeah know, like humanity of all human people. yeah exactly it, it's like when, when someone's being bigoted that's different than they think that uh different laws should apply to rural people about gun ownership than or you know exactly. like like there's exactly. different there's different takes on different things, you know? Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah I'm not going to be debating the humanity of all yeah, <laughs> of yeah. other people. Yeah. 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 So I think that's one big one. Um, you know, and this is like, I feel like this kind of gives away some of my book, but it's all right. People mm -hmm. can still read it. But like okay. the idea of it, that it's, you know, and I think that, I mean, this is, it's not a, um, you know, a secret, but like, it is some, it's less about the skills, um, than cause like, I really, you know, I started this because I wanted to learn how to do things like grow food and, uh, I don't know, fix things in my house, just practically speaking. Cause my husband and I are always joking about how I'm going to, um, die in the zombie apocalypse because, um, I don't know how to fix anything. And, the, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, what I've also discovered is that it's not, just the things you're learning how to do it's the people that are around you and the yeah. community that you're building and your you know the collective gifts um that everybody has and that we yeah. all have something to contribute um which of course is something that can can um you know can help you survive an apocalypse but it also is just a better way to live um yeah. in and that like maybe we can strive for that now um and not wait until the world is over <laughs> yeah yeah no that's that's what I, I i feel like when we do anything right like anything for the future right it also makes our present better you know and yeah. um and like yeah i i've been enjoying getting better at cooking and growing food and stuff right you know and it's like if all, all I if all I care about is making sure I like don't starve to death in the apocalypse, I can just keep buying dried rice in buckets, you know. Totally. But I'm like, no, it's it's really nice to like. I finally made bread for the first time this like, a couple months ago, and now I like every week or two I make a couple loaves of bread, and it just feels amazing, you know. Yeah. I haven't figured out how to make it so that it like freezes well, because like my favorite store bought oh. bread when you like freeze it. And then you toast it. It's really amazing. I really like oh, that. Yeah. If I was gluten-free, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> but okay, but but to go to back to what you're saying is like, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot while I, I talk to people for the show and then also the, the history podcast that I run, I think a lot about how stuff gets done and it's organizing. Like nothing gets done unless mm -hmm. someone organizes and makes it happen. Yeah. And so- like even just like, oh, okay, you might not know how to fix a toilet, but you know how to run a PTA meeting. I don't know if fuck all about PTA, <laughs> but like you, you like operate in a volunteer organizational situation on the reg like on a regular basis. And that's an incredibly useful skill, you know? Yeah, 
Totally. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, you're right. And like, I think that that's something that I've also like played out or is going to play Mm -hmm. out in the book as well is that like, that is my superpower is uh, bringing people together is also like, I mean, I've, I can't even tell you since my son was born, uh, Mm -hmm. like how many Facebook groups I've created based on like certain shared interests or whatever. uh I mean, some have like continued, some have not, but like I even... I'm a co-founder of an organization for moms who write. And so we're huh. having a retreat pretty soon. And so it's like things like that, like people, any like small thing, people have a, this like idea to rally around. And I think that that is something that I've like, especially been appreciated in the last year in that, like, I, I do, you know, I don't have to bring um, my terrible gardening skills. Right. Although they right. have gotten better. Okay. Um, okay. It is working. And I have grown way more tomatoes this year than I did last I was, year. But... I was going to guess tomatoes. <laughs> it's oh the my easiest. God. Last like... year... Oh, okay. La- well, last year was a failure. I had, I uh-huh. decided to grow like, I mean, I know this is a tangent, but I mm-hmm. decided it's, it was a funny uh, thing, but I grew only heirloom tomatoes okay. and I, I did, they don't, they don't like they grow so slowly so i did not get tomatoes until like almost november it was oh, like shit. late october which I means got, that like there's no sun on them because you live in cloud land <laughs> well yes but last year was like a crazy long i mean oh that's change. right the like, rains didn't come storms, totally late so I guess yeah in that way it worked but like but i got 15 tomatoes that were okay. just okay but this year i grew different kinds and i have had <laughs> abundance so i've learned my lesson that Excellent. lesson yeah <laughs> but yeah but yeah so i do think that like i bring i i bring different kinds of like i think that's that's another value is that soft skills and hard skills are equally as valuable yeah and we need to honor those as well and that's kind yeah. of the evolution of like how i see the book going is that it's like starts with so- the the hard skills but then it really gets into those soft like skills and then also you know re-envisioning society how do we do that (laughs) yeah yeah okay but are you gonna do the opening chapter where it's gonna be um when you finally go out and hunt right and it's gonna be like (laughs) the like the blood and the like thrill and the not sure how you feel about it and then the like grizzled uh like you know anarchist lady who's handed you the rifle like It's going to be a really good opening chapter if you do this. Oh, yeah, that's going to be a good one. I don't know if it'll be the opening chapter, but it will definitely yeah, yeah, no, be. Like, I have to bring some blood in there. I haven't done the hunting yet, which is I, part I, of... I don't hunt yet. I've, yeah, you know. well, and part of the reason, like, the hunting uh, hunting season is so short that I, like, yeah. keep missing it. And I'm like, okay, I'll wait until I have the book uh, the book deal, and then I can Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, like, so... One of the things that you're talking about, like, okay, like building the 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 moms who write thing. And in, in some ways that seems like unrelated to, to preparedness. But one of the things that, and I'm kind of, I'll be, this will be a different question I'll ask later about what kind of questions you get from people. But one of the main things that I get from people is people being like, but I don't have friends or I don't have community mm-hmm. or like, you know, and I, I actually think a lot of the preparedness that's focuses around like you and your family and build your bunker and blah, blah, blah. Sometimes it comes from a reasonable place where it comes from a place where it's like, I don't, I am alienated by our like capitalist society mm-hmm. and I don't know how mm-hmm. to interact with other people. And so, I mean, it's funny because when I, when I, when I lurk on like center or right wing preparedness spaces, like uh, 
all of these people are building community with each other, but they're building community about how as soon as everything goes bad, everyone, every man for himself and like, no, you can't come over to my house. You're going to be a, you know, mooch off of all my stuff or whatever, you know? And I'm like, y'all are so close. You're like building community. But when I think about like having a moms who write like retreat, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. like, you're talking about people who are alienated uh, by their position in society, like, um, and, you know, moms have a very specific role within capitalist society that alienates you. Yeah. And getting together to build this thing. And it's like the communities that I find are like the strongest and most interesting to me aren't necessarily politically focused communities, Mm -hmm. but instead communities that are focused on something else that then have a shared political vision, or even if it's not a like ideologically labeled one, Overall, you can have kind of a like, well, we build a community where we take care of people and where we, mm-hmm. you know, hate the fact that there's murder buoys in the rivers on the southern border. And, you know, like, like without yeah. it being about that. Mm-hmm. I don't have a question. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think I got one here. <laughs> okay, cool. um, yeah. Well, and just to put a little plug in, we're called mm-hmm. Scribente Maternum, which is the uh, writer moms uh, group. Cool. And we, yeah, I mean, and, and I think, I mean, I think it's, it is worth actually noting when we formed our group, like we had my friends who I, I co-created this with um, Carla Dupre, who's in Baltimore and, um, mm-hmm. Rachel Berg-Shearer, who's in Minneapolis, we uh, had known each other before, but it really started because of the pandemic and a lot and, and a lot of that like alienation as mothers, because so many of us, you know, took on the extra child care roles left, you know, when schools closed and when daycares and child care closes. And, you know, at, we... I mean, the whole, all of like society really lost a lot of like women and moms from the workforce because of that. And so Mm -hmm. we were like, you know, so we started these as virtual retreats and now we're doing in person because, um, um, it's safer to do so, but you know, and that is, it has been so transformative, um, and valuable. And last year during our inaugural retreat in Baltimore, it like, we knew it was going to be great, but it was like, I don't think we realized how much this community of people was craving this. And I, you know, and, and when we, like, it was transformative, like it really felt like just, we all needed to be in a space that acknowledged um, just those really uh, important identities that we had. And, you know, and we, and, and I should note too, that we, we have kind of, I guess it's like political, but we've been very like, focus on ensuring inclusivity too. And so like Mm -hmm. we say moms, but it's kind of, you know, it's an inclusive, you know, it's inclusive of, you know, gender and also of role. Like sometimes aunts are take moms roles or some, you know, people can't become moms, um, you know? And so it's just like, but, um, and that's also was part of the ethos that we bring to it. But it really, like, sometimes you just need somebody to create it. And, and sometimes you need, know you need it until it's there and you're like oh my god where has this been my whole life and uh, you know and so I you know and I don't know if I would have created it by myself I created it because there were two other two friends of mine who are who also saw this need and we were like we can do this we can do this together and I think that like I think that that but yeah to find that 
I mean, I think it really is. I mean, and I'm an extrovert, so it's really just, it's, it's more natural for me. <laughs> uh-huh. These spaces. But being married to like uh, an Uber introvert, like I yeah. know, like what I know the need it is to, for anybody, regardless of how their kind of community they have around them to have that connection with other people. And so sometimes you just need somebody to kind of create it and also like find you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that, um, I mean, that's hard because it's kind of out of your control a little bit, but like, I do yeah. think that that, it, that, I mean, I guess maybe it's a, it's an, you know, advocacy for like, if you are the kind of person that is like good at creating these communities, do it and find the people who need to be found. Um, yeah. I don't know. No, that, that all makes so much sense to me. And it's funny cause it like, it even ties into, there's this sort of anarchist cliche. The secret is to really begin. And it's mm-hmm. it's an impetus to direct action. It's an impetus if you have a problem, figure out what needs to be done and, and start doing it. And like, and I, I like that this is a, I mean, this is a life skill. It's not just a like, go get involved in the following conflict kind of thing. You know, it's, yeah. um, and, and yeah, I guess that is like, that kind of almost answers the question of like, people are like, well, how do you build community? And the answer is like, well, you, you find people based on like a similar, level of interest or whatever, like a, a, a specific interest. And then you do in-person things together and you organize making that happen. And one of the things that I've found, if you're like the kind of person who goes to events and you don't know how to talk to people at events, like if you're an introvert and you go, are going to these events, if you get involved in the organizing, now you have a reason why you're there and now you are talking to people. You know, and I, instead yeah. of fly on the wall, you can just go and like be part of it. And even if it's like, if you go to a thing and you volunteer, a lot of the like activist type things I'll go to have like a, a kitchen, right? And, you know, everyone gets fed for. And like, if you don't know how to cook, just go prep cook or even just go wash dishes. And then you like, by volunteering into this organization or this, even if it's a temporary organization, this thing that is existing, it's a really good way to meet people. Um, yeah. Oh, that's, I think that's such a really that's a really good recommendation. I think that that's something I've struggled with, like, you know, being an extrovert, like mm-hmm. seeing it from the perspective of introverts. But yeah, you have a reason. It's not, it's less awkward when you volunteered for the, you know, for, yeah, for the kitchen or, and also uh, that relates to um, the climate activist and um, uh, and writer, uh, Dr. Ayana Elizabeth Johnson. Okay. Is that her name? Yeah, she, she has this Venn diagram of climate action that I, I think about a lot where it's like, what needs to be done and what gifts do I have? And kind of And like, it's such a simple thing, but it really is profound because like, you don't have to like legislate at the policy level, or you don't have to like, you don't have to like, you know, do certain things that feel really out of your realm of comfort, but you can do things that are something that makes you happy, but also, and you're good at, and that is also needs to be done. Like I'm yeah. a writer and that's my form of climate action is this book. And like, yeah. and this journey that I'm on, that I'm really good at sharing things about myself. And so that's, this is the climate action that I've chose. I mean, I do other things too. I work with yeah. some climate justice organizations here as well, but like, it doesn't have to be one thing. And I think that that's the same thing with like finding community and also finding your place in community is that it doesn't, you don't have to be the leader. You don't have to be, or the fly on the wall, even you can find your place in that. Yeah. Okay. It reminds me of a different Portland writer who, um, 
care a lot, a lot about. Ursula Le Guin, the science fiction oh, writer, used to live there. Love her so much. Um, I, 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 I interviewed her when I was like 26 or something like that, and it like changed the way I think about a ton of stuff because I interviewed her about anarchism and fiction, and I was trying to find my place as like a writer. I was like moving more and more into being a writer after having been mm-hmm. just like a direct action protest organizer and squatter and, and all these things for years. And, and what she said was basically, she was like, I like hanging out with people who let me m- do what I'm good at, which is being a writer. Mm-hmm. But then she also talked about how she was like, don't get me wrong. I still will stuff envelopes for Planned Parenthood and go to every peace march that I can, mm-hmm. you know? And it was like, oh, that's the perfect you're like, I feel like you have your like organizational level skills or like your main thing you bring. And then there's like grunt work and you're not excused from the grunt work because you're like, like the really amazing yeah. musician still has to like wash his own dishes, you know, <laughs> but, yeah, like, exactly. but maybe the really amazing musician focuses on being a really amazing musician and doesn't figure out how to structurally develop the dishwashing system, you know? Yeah. Like, totally. Um, yeah. yeah, no, no I, I just, I, I really like that. I, it's been a really useful thing for me as I try and figure out, like, I'm like, you know. I love that. I yeah. love Ursula Gwynn. And actually, yeah. her book, The Dispossessed, was really, I oh, think, cool. what even transformed my ideas of anarchism um, the most. Yeah. Because it's, like, the most, like, uh, coherent and clear and comprehensive like description of an anarchist society that you you know you can find yeah. anywhere so it really gets you to actually understand what that is but also on a personal mm-hmm. level with Ursula Le Guin I had um I wrote I read a book and I, I interviewed the author of um actually her biographer um it's called Baby on the Fire Escape uh, okay. by Julie Phillips and so what and and Julie um does a really beautiful job at kind of like talking about the mother motherhood and the identity of various authors. But Ursula Le Guin was pretty fleshed out because she's also her biographer, um, yeah. which is pretty cool. But she, but what was real, but like kind of, I think what I relate to Ursula Le Guin is that she was like, you know, a soccer mom of her era. Yeah. <laughs> and like, she was like, she really is like had like, this similar identity that I feel like Mm -hmm. I have now that, but like was really radical in her beliefs and expressing it in the way that she is doing it. And so I feel really like connected to her in that. And also I live in Portland. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) No, she's fucking, I, we, we really lost, we really lost something when she passed (laughs) and like, um, yeah, like I um, got to interview her. That's so cool. Yeah, no, I, I, and honestly, like, uh, one of the reasons I'm so grateful to her is that um, by giving me attention and like, she helped my career substantially, literally just by being like, oh, yeah, no, this, this, this person seems cool, you know, and like, um, yeah. like talking to me, and we did a talk together at Powell's a million years ago. And um, it, it like completely changed the course of my life. That's um, so cool. And I, I really, will like be forever grateful. And I like think about that a lot when I'm like, just like small acts of kindness that change people's lives. And like, no, I, I, I think I love the way she writes about anarchism. I love that she talks about the marriage of responsibility and freedom, like, and how they mm-hmm. go, you know? Um, and then one of my other, it's been a couple of years since I read The Dispossessed, but I just like, I think about this a lot. One of my favorite parts of The Dispossessed is the love story because it's a love story about why monogamy is totally chill in a polyamorous world. And like- <laughs> 
and like basically this like refusal to have these two forces be antagonistic to each other and instead be like no like free love includes choosing to be like in this and so like I, I only once watched her interact with her husband, but it was just so beautiful to me. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. It was like a, a point where, and now I'm just, whatever, I, I, I think about this all the time. Um, there was a point where, you know, someone was coming up and being like, you know, oh, do you, let me get the microphone set up. And she was like, we're not doing anything until my husband has a comfortable place to sit. And then like, so they like switched all their priorities to make sure he had a comfortable place to sit. And then she was like, okay, great. Now, what did you need from me? Oh my gosh. Um, love her. Yeah. Love that. And that's a, that's a really good point. It's something I remember thinking about when I was reading it, but I don't know if I really processed mm. it. So because there is so much to process. Oh yeah. Book, totally. but, um, yeah, I need to go. I mean, it hasn't been that long since I read it, but I want to, I mean, I really want to just go back and read it again yeah. because I, you know, I don't think I knew what I was getting into when I started reading it. And then yeah. you're like, yeah. <laughs> well, she didn't know so, she was getting into when she started writing it. It was like the thing that kind of made her more into an anarchist was writing that book. I um, love that. So, well, and also same me becoming more of an anarchist was reading yeah. the book. So yeah. there we go. <laughs> um, okay, wait. So, so to to back up one step, you're talking about like, for example, your role as an extrovert, and I know that mm-hmm. we were going to have all these other things to talk about, but I want to talk about this like building community thing and ways of including mm-hmm. people, because this is one of the things that comes up so much. I, I think I pointed that out. Um, and like one of the smallest things that I've seen people do, there's like a culture. Uh, I go to a couple different types of gatherings with very different types of people. And one of them is science mm-hmm. fiction conventions and specifically the ones for like writers and stuff. And there's mm-hmm. this culture that's been developed where if you're standing around in a circle of people talking and there's someone kind of just hovering at the back who's like, doesn't know whether or not they can come in and join. You open the circle up and it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if anyone there knows them. They are now part of that circle. And like, obviously then sometimes people get really annoying and they talk too much and whatever, but like, but it, but it's a culture of introverts. And so they've developed these like habits about how to, to take care of it. And the, the reason that I wanted to bring this up and ask you about it is that I, I'm kind of curious how do we anti-gatekeep? How do we, mm-hmm. like, how do we invite people in? Like, because one of the things that you've talked about is by being in the position you're in, you're able to talk to people about ideas. And so I actually, I guess I'll ask this about specifically preparedness to kind of bring things back to what we're supposed mm-hmm. to be talking about. Like, how do you work to help people feel welcome in preparedness communities or like preparedness mm-hmm. concepts or something? Yeah. Well, and I, you know, it's hard because I don't know if I really have like a a ton of experience in that because I feel like I'm still pretty new in the preparedness circle, which I think is part of what makes me kind of accessible in that area. Um, But also, and so like what gave me my, um, I mean, I'm still, you know, even though I'm an extrovert, I get really nervous going into spaces that I'm, um, uh, that I'm not originally a part of. um, Mm -hmm. And and so, so, you know, anyone from an introvert to extrovert is going to feel out of place um, yeah. and, you know, in new scenarios. Um, I thought you all just had these superpowers. <laughs> extrovert yeah. just has the power <laughs> to talk to people. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. No, but I get nervous too. And yeah. sometimes like to a fault, but like at the same time, I'm, but what I do is like, I think, um, 
uh, gosh, I don't know if I can like answer that as far as like preparedness goes, but I can tell okay. you like how we do it in other things. And then maybe I'll get back to the preparedness yeah, part yeah, yeah. a little bit. But yeah, so like I, I mean, this is a thing with, I mean, with our writer moms retreats. I mean, one of the things that we really have been grappling with, um, I mean, because it's a retreat and it kind of falls into that kind of like wellness uh, industry uh category, which is really white and affluent. And yeah, yeah, so how we've done it is really just, especially in in particular, like reaching out to moms of color is just trying really hard to to create partnerships with um, communities uh, of writers of color and trying Mm -hmm. to really, you know, um, last year we did get some funding um, to support five black writer moms. And I think that that was a big starting point to that, but we didn't have that this year. So I don't know. I I think that's one, that's kind of an inclusivity thing, but also no, regardless of who came, nobody really knew each other, anybody coming into Mm -hmm. that. So I feel like there was such bravery on the part of these people to attend something that they're like, I don't know anybody, but kind of like with the, with the science fiction community is that we created, you know, we facilitated it in a way that like, it's not, you actually, you know, you don't need to know anybody to like get something out of this and, and like, you know, circling up, like making it, you know, and like creating an environment where we have small groups where you can really make individual connections and that kind of stuff. And I think that like, that is, you know, that is the thing. I mean, that comes from like my, I was a, an higher ed, I was in higher ed doing like um, social justice education. And so Mm -hmm. I kind of employ a lot of these like facilitation skills where we're creating um, experiences that, that are good for extroverts and then some that are good for introverts. So ones that let you think before you have a conversation or have one-on-one interactions before having an, a group discussion with everybody where not everybody's going to feel comfortable sharing. Um, so as far as like, let's see if I can bring this home. <laughs> yeah, proper thing. I mean, I think that, I mean, so for me trying to like kind of get into this and like, I mean, I, I guess part of it is I don't know if I really found myself in like traditional prepper circles yet. I think in right. some ways I'm kind of like what I mean by traditional preppers, I mean like kind of from the like stereotypical, the stereotype that we would think, but yeah. 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 But like coming at it from an, from an individual skill level has been useful because everybody has a different reason for being in the place that they are. And so kind of remembering that when I go in and being like, okay, you know, everyone's here for their own reason. And, you know, maybe your goal is to find out what those reasons are. Yeah. I get nervous. Even if I have a friend with me, I get nervous every time I take a new class and, Mm -hmm. um, because it's like not something that I, but I, but like, I have felt really welcomed so far because the communities that I have sought out are people that are really excited to share the skills that they have and really don't care where you're at with it. Like, and so I think for me, it's like, and I think that maybe is, is I would suggest like, that's what I would emulate is like that excitement for the skill and not necessarily like looking for a type of person to be joining these circles. It's really like, I'm excited to share this idea. I'm excited to share this skill because it means something to me. And, um, so I think for like somebody who's, who's creating, um, a group or creating an environment for that, that's what has helped me 
feel a part of it. And, um, and with each class I take, the less scared I am for the next one. <laughs> Although I haven't gotten to any gun related things yet. So we'll <laughs> I, I, my like recommendation, I try not to be super, let's say gender essentialist or something. My recommendation is that some of the like more macho type skills that lean towards machismo, getting, uh, getting people who aren't cis men to be your teacher, yeah. can be, like, really yeah. useful. And there absolutely are a lot of uh, like women and other folks who train in firearm skills. And I've, I've even had this like experience where even when someone it's like not even necessarily the fault of the instructor sometimes like I've been like I've taught a, a decent number of people how to shoot firearms and mm-hmm. and sometimes I'm like the other co-trainer who often is the more uh, knowledgeable person for like fine fine-tuning skills and things will be a cis man and you know and I I'll find that I have a um I'm so great is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I find that sometimes people like have an easier time learning from me than learning from the other person who's teaching uh, about specific parts of it. And it's like not even like a mannerism difference. It's just kind of a like there's a, you know, when you when you're used to a culture of being like, oh, men, men are going to gatekeep this skill from me, you know, or like, totally. like, why is exactly the following thing happening? And like, I think about like, well, I used to think I used to pretend to be a boy for a very long time. And and so I would go to these like climbing camps, let's say, like when I used to do more forest defense and I'd learn how to climb trees mm-hmm. and stuff. And then and I wasn't particularly good at it. Right. And I like mm-hmm. learned it and I kind of, you know, I've tree sat a couple times successfully and haven't died. So I feel like I'm doing it right. Um, on the other hand, I think most, I don't know what percentage of the trees I've sat in are still around. <laughs> um <laughs> But, you know, forest defense is a heartbreaking uh, task. Um, mm-hmm. And then I went to, uh, um, you know, there's there's this uh, group called TWAC, Trans and Women's Action Camp. And it's mm-hmm. forest defense skills taught. And it's, and it's an exclusive space where cis men are not allowed, right? Um, mm-hmm. And exactly what that looks like has, like, changed over the years as, like, you know, like, as our terminology and understanding of different things has changed, mm-hmm. right? But I could climb so much higher there because instead of, like... Mm-hmm. Instead of people, because I would get up, I get up to like 20 or 30 feet and then I'm like, this sucks. I'm scared. I'm coming down now, you know? And like, and when I would do it around men, I'd be like, oh, I don't even want to climb the tree anymore, you know? And instead it's just like all these women being like, you can do it or maybe you can't do it. In which case you should come back down. To support you, whatever you decide. I know. I I mean, that's actually the thing that I've like really, uh, and, and I had to kind of make that decision early on too, about mm-hmm. like, what are the kind of spaces that I want to be in for this? And I really yeah. like, I was like, I, I am going to stay true to my, my progressive values. And I really just don't, I mean, and that doesn't mm-hmm. mean I can't interact with people who have different values than yeah. me, but like, but I don't want to be, yeah, I want to be in a, I want to actually learn these skills. And that's not going to happen if I'm feeling kind of emotionally threatened. And, and so like, yeah, so it's, I really have been trying to seek like, and you know, I don't know, I still don't know if I've found like, um, the right like search terms, but Uh like trying, especially for like hunting and and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But like, you know, so I, you know, and part of that comes out with reaching out to people who I 
trust that can kind of give me recommendations like you, you know, right. that like know where I'm coming from. Right. Um, it's easier with like things like foraging um, <laughs> than it yeah. is for, for hunting because yeah. like, you know, it's, it's, you know, skews a little bit more uh, lefty, but you know, yeah. not always, not always. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, totally. I think that that's, um, yeah, the, yes, I'm a different person depending on like who is like kind of gatekeeping and, um, yeah. and, and being just aware of that in myself. And maybe that's just, you know, yeah. the age you know, when we, as we get older and, and want to actually, you know, exist in the world, we're like, okay, how do I do that in the best way I possibly can? And that's being surrounded by people that make me comfortable. <laughs> totally. And like, you know, and there's, and there's lots of ways to do that. And I've also just say like, okay, like, cis men, if you want that kind of experience, you just have to do it, you know, like, yeah. and I've seen folks do it where they're like, oh, it's okay. We can all do this together. And like, you know, I've seen good positive, but I've also, even in like good, otherwise good spaces, I've seen people being like, oh, we don't have time to like stop and put on sunscreen. And you're like, <laughs> why, how can you oh teach a first aid class then? <laughs> like, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> Um, oh like, my gosh. Uh, yeah, I, you know, it's funny. And you're the person that I'm accidentally saying this about. <laughs> I believe you that you heard me when I had this upsetness and I think you're doing better and I'm not mad at you at all. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. I, I keep bringing up the, the writer mom's retreats, but my friend was at one of our, she, she was at a, um, an event like advertising it and she kept getting these like well what about the space for writer dads and yeah <laughs> she's like well one you can create it and second that's everywhere <laughs> yeah no totally yeah it's like you know and they, they they might need it and that's great they can do that Good yeah but that's not my yeah. job to create that for you yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah um, okay, well, I have one main other topic I wanted to ask you about. You know, you, you've written about a lot about um, parenting and uh, preparedness, and we've talked about it sometimes at different times on the show in different ways. But I kind of wanted to talk to you about, like, you talking to your kids about preparedness, like creating a family plan. Like, I'm kind of asking for almost not hard skills, but like, like some like how to ish stuff. Like, how do you create a family plan? How do you talk to your kids about uh, disaster and uncertain futures. Not a small question. Yeah. No. no, it's not, but it's an important one because we have to. And I mean, so I, I've written about it and I've, I struggle with it kind of constantly because it's like talking to <laughs> any parent. I have a six-year-old son and, we, mm-hmm. and he, um, you know, he's his own person and, and, yeah. you know, has his own desires. And so like, it's such a fine line trying to talk to your kids about big topics um, that where (laughs) they're, you know, they're going to, if you drone on about it, they're going to get bored and just walk away. Or if you like (laughs) bombard them too quickly uh, or like are like too intense about it, they're, you know, you're going to develop this pattern where they're not going to want to talk to you about certain things. And so it really is a a challenge. Um, But I've done a lot of, you know, since he was little, I was like, I've listened to a lot and read a lot about also talking to kids about race, especially white kids who don't mm-hmm. have to think about it because the world is built for them. Right. <laughs> and, 
And that I think are the tools are similar to talking about race and racism um, and systemic racism, racism as climate change. Um, and so yeah. part of it is that you, for me, what has worked and, um, and I'm not saying this as like, I'm a perfect example cause I'm still learning a lot, but like, is that putting him into an environment that um, prompts a discussion about it. So like, going to um, a racial justice protest and we're talking about racism and mm -hmm. why, and then like, you know, he will bring up the questions that kind of leads the way. And for talking okay. about climate change, it's the same thing. So like um, I took him to, um, we live in the um, our science museum, OMSI, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, they have an orca exhibit and, you know, which talks about climate change, talks about healthy oceans and a lot of other things. Um, and we, you know, I took him there. We had co some conversations there, but then as we're driving home, he was asking some really specific questions about climate change, questions about like, okay, well, you know, how, why can't we stop it? Why can't we do this, this, and this, and right. all of these kind of things. And I can, and it, it just, it's to have the, and, and he, you know, asked questions for like, we were had this conversation about, about a half an hour, which is a long conversation with a six-year-old. Cause usually they'll move <laughs> on to something. Else. Uh -huh. And I think that like that to, at least for the age that, that my son is, is that really is, um, the best way to like prompt these conversations. Um, like you want them to lead the way, but you also can't avoid it. So like, you know, books are a really good way to have these discussions too. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, I mean, this is, I don't know if he's ready for this, but I just, cause I was, I, you know, doing my own research on like what books would be good for kids, but the YA novel, um, uh, two degrees, okay. um, was a, it's like a great one for, um, for young, for like you know, preteens and teenagers to like read and like something that you can do with your kids is read. Um, and also, but, but the other thing that I, um, have learned from also the, you know, talking your kid about racism or, or really teaching them not to be racist, really yeah. what actually like those conversations are essential and you need to have them. Um, but you, but what they learn the most from is your actions. And so it's, uh -huh. so it's really like, um, it's really, you know, going to, for, in our case, going to, to protest both climate protests and, and anti-racism protests or mm -hmm. racial justice protests. It's going, showing, you know, or talking about it. Like I do this, I'm writing this book about this. And, um, you know, it was, as far as like preparedness goes, I had, I struggled with this early on when I was trying to, when I was writing the book proposal about how much I would involve him in the yeah. preparedness part of it, because, you know, I was like, Oh, I'll sign up for, up for scouts and you can learn all these skills. And there's a, there's a great, or, you know, um, place here that teaches like, you know, you know, Bush skills right. to, um, to, to kids, which is cool. And he's done a couple camps, but like, I kind I was like, I had to like, be like, this is my journey. Like, I can't, like, he's into yeah. dragon. Like if yeah. he doesn't want to like go, you know, bushwhacking, then like, I need to be okay with that. And so, you know, I think that that's where it comes in where you can kind of, it's really that like showing, being the example. I mean, I still am going to sign him up for some like one-off camps, but he didn't want to do the like year-long apprenticeship and I had to be cool with that. And so, <laughs> yeah. Um, and also didn't, you know, 
helped not have to pay for yet another thing. But like, but I think that that that's, I think the challenge for a lot of parents for any kind of skill that they want them to learn. And so it is. So as far as the like family plan goes, you know, it's, you know, it's funny. I don't know if I've actually like involved him in the, cause ours has been, I, I have mm-hmm. to say that like, we have a pretty basic plan Yeah. Um, more on like, I think of it in terms of the earthquake. Cause it's easier for me to, uh, it's yeah. more, it's very immediate. And like, we have a river that bisects the city and my husband is works on one side and we live and my kid goes to school on the other. Yeah. And uh, the bridges are all going to go down. <laughs> so you need the, how does your husband get home? Yeah. How, or like if I am at a meeting across the river, who gets the kid? And so like yeah, I, I've uh-huh. enjoyed it. So I've like, this is how I've said to, to my son is like, you know, if something happens, like, you know, I have, I'm very lucky to have family nearby. So my sister, um, I will just text them and be like, Hey, I'm going to be across the river. And they're not like weirded out by me being like, cause they're used to you. <laughs> used to me and like yeah and that's the other thing like I have I've had other friends who I've had this conversation with too is that they think mm-hmm. about it all the time but they haven't employed anything yeah and so just me talking about it has helped them be like okay if I'm at a meeting across the river I'll text so and so and be like okay you're on if there's an earthquake that happens you're on for child duty so yeah. you know like that kind of stuff so yeah but yeah I think it's like involving him and that kind of stuff and like really having and having the conversation about like okay if something happens like these are the kind of things that could happen and he knows about the earthquake and we talk about that yeah and then he obviously he knows about climate change too um but it's tricky because that's you know that's a you know that's like a series of multiple climate disasters versus like right you know so it's it can be and and actually maybe that is that is actually a tool too, is to to really think about what is the most likely um, disaster that could befall your community and your home. Um, I mean, here earthquakes one, but wildfires are are yeah. a, a constant threat every summer, and so like and and smoke is you know always yeah, it's there. Issue. Yeah, yeah, and so use that as like a frame of reference to have these conversations with your kid and also to make your plan because it's just as easier to do than be like, well, it could be anything. Yeah. (laughs) If aliens come down, this is what you're doing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Zombies. Yeah. (laughs) So if we end up in the last of us, what's going to (laughs) happen? Okay. If dragons come and attack. (laughs) Oh yeah. He'll be really into that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it makes sense. And there's like some level of preparedness where, because I feel like everyone I know who does preparedness has people involved in their preparedness plans who don't care about it and roll their eyes at it. Right. And so like, yeah. I like, I just put food in my parents' basement. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and my mom doesn't listen to this show, so I can say that, you know. <laughs> and like, but I'm able to like also like like sometimes with people who are going to roll their eyes at it, you're like, OK, well, you're going to roll your eyes at it, but we'll have made a plan. You know, you could just be like, hey, if the following happens, here's the plan. And everyone's like, OK, whatever. Mostly just to shut me up. But I'm like, great. No, it's in place. We know the thing. We know the plan, you know. Um, yeah. 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 No, totally. Well, and this is something we kind of mm. talked about before is that like, yeah, when I started this this project, and there were a lot of people who were like, what are you doing? My yeah. mom was like mm-hmm. really worried. She's like, I really just, 
she was more worried about the perception that people would have about me that that I would be seen as this, you know, kind of a wacko. And I was like, and, but I've really, I mean, because, but I was like, you know what, I'm a writer mom. Like this is, this is how you like change the narrative is by being very specific about what I mean this is. And I, she's really come around to it in this conversation and is like, not to the extent that they've made, decent preparations but you know it's like you know but also like I think that that's that's something I wonder if like I should now I'm like thinking out loud like should I be putting how do you get more people in your immediate community to to actually do something they like think it's good that you're doing it but like they're not doing it themselves and yeah (laughs) I I find it's like, I mean, honestly, what I used to do is I just made emergency kits and I gave emergency kits to probably 50 or 60 people. And it just was like, it cost me a grand or so. uh, And like, which is, you know, not a lot of money, but I'm like, you know what? That was one of the best thousand dollars I ever spent. And like every now and then someone messages me and it was like, oh, I was at a protest and I really needed the Advil that was in my emergency kit. Thanks. (laughs) You know, and it's like everyone I give it to like rolls their eyes. It's like, all right, whatever. But then like, you know, and it's just like, whatever. It's it's, it's my peace of mind is why I just like. Yeah, no, I know. Totally. Um, yeah. I love but, that. That's a brilliant idea, actually. Thanks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Christmas gift this year. Oh, yeah. Well, what, okay. The trick that you have to do is um, because I give my family preparedness stuff every year for Christmas. Uh, you have to give them other stuff, too. It, it actually means you have to give them more stuff than you would otherwise give them. You know, like. <laughs> Otherwise, they're like, God damn it! Writing, why did... writing them to <laughs> to yeah. be prepared, to yeah. accept your <laughs> yeah. They're like, you're like, here's a mug that made me think of you, and a life straw that you can put in your car. You could just put in the trunk of your car and forget about, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, and you'll probably never need it. I don't know. Yeah, uh, totally. Okay, well, uh, is there any like major thing that you like wish I had asked you, or like kind of like final thoughts, or or anything like that? No, I don't think so. This is really fun. I, um, yeah, I guess maybe just to plug, go, f- yeah, follow my uh, newsletter at crammingfortheapocalypse.substack.com. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I'm whenever your book comes out, we'll have you back on to talk about it more. Thank you so much, Margaret. This was really a pleasure and always fun talking to you. I'm glad we had the time to do it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, uh, well, obviously go follow Cramming for the Apocalypse and slip food into people's basements. Um, But it has to be rodent proof. Otherwise, you're actually just doing them a disservice. And then everyone will be like really mad at you because you're the one who left dried bread in their basement. And now there's rats everywhere. Unless the people become friends with the rats, in which case it'll all work out. But that's usually not how it goes. If you want to support this podcast, you can do so by supporting our publisher, Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness, on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash strangers in a tangled wilderness. Your funds pay the people who do the thankless work, the grunt work, as we were talking about before. It pays the transcriptionist and it pays the audio editor. And we you know, value trying to make sure that uh, this podcast is as accessible as possible. So... Yeah. And uh, you can support us there. And also we send out free zine, not free. You have to pay us. That's how it works. We send out zines every month, uh, but we also do free other podcasts, including a podcast called Strangers in Tangled Wilderness, which is a free version of the zine that comes out every month. So I wasn't lying to you. And as well as a podcast called Anarcho Geek Power Hour for people who uh, hate cops and love movies. 
And in particular, I want to thank some of our, our patrons. I want to thank Eric and Percival and Buck, Jacob, Catgut, Marm, Carson, Lord Harkin, Trickster, Princess Miranda, Ben Ben, Anonymous, Funder, Janice Nodell, Ali, Paparuna, Milica, Boise Mutual Aid, Theo, Hunter, SJ, Paige, Nicole, David, Dana, Chelsea, Starro, Jennifer, Kirk, Chris, Micaiah, and as always, Hoss the Dog. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening, and I hope you're doing as well as you can. <laughs>